Welcome to Come Follow Me, the Old Testament. We're looking today at Genesis, uh, the three, uh, excuse me, Genesis uh, three through four, and in Moses four through five. A little bit confusing there, but I welcome you today as uh, to our class. I'm uh, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we'll be uh, teaching and preaching the Word of God today from the Old Testament the first testament and witness of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of that Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that I know him. He knows me and of him I declare to you. He lives today. He sits at almighty God's right hand. He is uh, anointed and enthroned him upon a heavenly glory and a heavenly throne where the angels of heaven sit round about his throne in the act of praising and singing hallelujah and hallelujah to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And what a glorious Jesus Christ and glorious God that we have. And of him I testify that he lives, that he died for your sins. And because of that, we can all repent of our sins and return to live with him in joy and happiness and eternal glory and splendor. What wonderful blessings God has in store for his mighty children. And we're going to continue to look at these things as we look at the uh, uh, Come Follow Me, the Old Testament today. And uh, we look at uh, how God has dealt with uh, his uh, children throughout the history of time. This is the very beginning of the uh, biblical record. of what we learned, We're learning about Adam and Eve and their family. And uh, uh, last week we looked at uh, Adam. In uh, chapter 2, Adam and 7 and 8 are created. Uh, well, Adam in verse 7 and 8 is created outside in the Garden of Eden. We don't know what year that was. We we know it's probably not, you know, 4,000 B.C. That seems to be when the fall took place. We don't know how long Adam was created, how long it took to create Adam, how long Adam was outside the Garden of Eden. We don't know. Uh, we know it was long enough that God says in Genesis that he had time to plant a whole garden, including trees and all kinds of things, bushes, trees, uh, whole, uh, uh, grass, whatever it was in, in that beautiful Garden of Eden. So this was not just a few months, folks. This is quite a period of time that Adam is living outside of the Garden of Eden, perhaps suggesting that life was going on outside the Garden of Eden. We now know from science that Jericho, for example, the, one of the oldest cities in the world, it used to be considered the oldest. Now we know it's not even the oldest, 10,000 B.C. So we have all the evidence of these things going on. Uh, Adam is then placed inside the Garden of Eden. And we don't know how long Adam and then when Eve comes along, we don't know how long they were in the Garden of Eden. May have been millions of years, may have been hundreds of thousands of years, may have been thousands of years. But we learn from the record, from the scriptures themselves. If you actually read the scriptures, the whole earth was not the Garden of Eden. The earth existed. God had created that in Genesis 1. He then creates a Garden of Eden, which was just a part of the earth. And then we know that there's outside of the Garden of Eden. And yet there's some unfortunate that a lot of people lose their testimonies, lose their faith, not only of this church, but of other Christian uh, denominations and other uh, Ju uh, Judeo-Christian religions, thinking that science somehow does not uh, is not compatible with the Scripture. But if you actually read the Scripture, you can see that there is nothing in science that is not compatible with the Scripture. It is compatible. We're not told all the details. We know now more about from science about the, the history of the earth and what was told to us in the Genesis story. But there's nothing in Genesis that suggests that uh, this earth is only, uh, you know, for, you know it's only 6,000 years uh, old. It's probably far more older than that. Again, we don't know how long Adam was outside the Garden of Eden. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were inside the Garden of Eden. And so we're going to look here today at the, the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, and then what happens, you know, then they have Cain and Abel, and then uh, Cain rises up, and we'll look at this story in more detail in just a moment, and kills Abel. And where does he go? He goes off to the land of Nod. So here's this land of Nod named after someone in history at some point in time named Nod. That's what the ancients would do. They would name lands and uh, things on the earth after people. Uh, so you got this Nod and the Nodites uh, living in this uh, the land of Nod. 
We don't know how long they had been around, right? So it kind of goes back to what we looked at in previous weeks in Moses chapter 1, where Moses is given a revelation. He sees many earths, many earths are inhabited with peoples, with children of God. And God says, but Moses, only an account of this earth give I unto you. I've created these other things for a purpose in which is my in my own will and in my own knowledge, but I'm not going to tell you what that is. And I'm not even going to tell you much detail about it. Just know that these things exist. I'm going to tell you about your earth and where you live. So it's the same type of thing that we have in the scriptures. He hints here and there about there being these other people, but I will only tell you about Adam and his family, declare I unto you, saith the Lord. And so it's important that, that we're aware of these things, that we don't lose uh, our faith in Christianity. Uh, you know, when we need to read the scripture and see what it says. And if we see what it says, then when you learn stuff about science, when you go to college, learn things about science, it in no way challenges your faith or your testimony because you know what the scriptures teach. And there's nothing in the scriptures that's not compatible uh, with, uh, with science. And so th that's what we have there in uh, Moses. You know, we also get in Revelation 12, right? We're, we're in the pre-existence. We have the great war, the dragon and Michael. We're fighting in heaven. We're in heaven. We're in the pre-existence with the Heavenly Father. They cast the Satan down to the earth. And what do they say? Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because Satan is cast down. Well, who were these inhabitants of the earth that then while we're all the people live on the earth today, we're all together in the preexistence in heaven. Who are these inhabitants on the earth to then Satan? We, we cast Satan out. Satan comes down and you have the inhabitants on the earth. Who were these inhabitants of the earth? So, again, God hinting here and there. But only of Adam's family declare I unto you. And we don't need to speculate about these other things. We don't know much about them. We don't know about, about these people. We don't know where they came from, how long they've been here. Uh, we don't know how the plan of salvation, uh, uh, you know, involves them. And we don't need to speculate on these things. We speculate. What do we don't speculate. We learn and we study the scriptures in terms of Adam's family and how the gospel uh, was presented to Adam's family and his descendants, how God has dealt with Adam and his descendants. That is what we need to be worried about. Okay, so let's look now here. And uh, now last time we focused more on the Genesis account. This time we get the book of Moses. Those of you who don't have access to the book of Moses, and I know a lot of you don't, uh, just, you know, you can read the Genesis today, uh, Genesis 3 and 4, but there's going to be some other added things here that we're going to learn more from the book of Moses. This is, was restored through the uh, restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith, who we, we talked about in great detail and many times all last year in our Come Follow Me Doctrine and Covenants uh, videos. Uh, Joseph Smith, as part of his role as a prophet of God, restored many plain and precious parts of the gospel that had been cut out for by the great and abominable church, as we've seen over the last couple of years. And so in the book of Moses, we have this story here of Genesis uh, chapter 3 through 4, but we're going to get it in more detail in Moses 4 through 5. So today uh, we're going to look at Moses uh, 4 through 5, but a lot of this material is still found in uh, the Genesis 3 through 4 uh, chapters. Okay, so let's begin now in uh, Moses, and we're going to look at Moses chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 4. There's a lot of great stuff here today, guys. I, we ask God as we begin this uh, study that Heavenly Father will open the heavens to us, that he'll guide us by his spirit, that he'll reveal to us the great and precious things that he would have us learn at this time uh, in this video as this video goes forward throughout the earth, that many will be benefited by the things in here and that uh, we can all gain greater testimony and greater faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's look at Moses chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And he says, And I, the Lord God, I, uh, uh, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh of the uh, Elohim, Yahweh of the God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan, whom thou hast commanded in the name of my only begotten. So we've seen uh, the, the previously how Moses has the great uh, vision of the, uh, you know, the, uh, of the planet and all the people live on the planet. Then Satan comes along, says, I'm the only begotten son. Worship me. And, God, and Satan said, and, and Moses says to him, 
when I sought God, I had to be transfigured by the Holy Spirit to be in his presence or I would have died. I saw his glory. Where is your glory, Satan, that I should worship you? You claim to be this great being. Also, I don't see, I only see darkness and misery and woe in you. And, uh, and, and so he commands them in the name of Jesus Christ to depart. And that's how we should do, deal with Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ, depart hence. You know, and uh, so he does that. So God's here saying that, that uh, Satan whom you commanded to depart is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me. So now we get back to Revelation chapter 12 material and what happened in this great war between the dragon, Satan, and, and Michael. He says, uh, he came before me saying, behold, here am I, send me to earth to be the savior of the world. I will be thy son and I will redeem all mankind that not one soul shall be lost. I will take away their free will and their free agency, which is incredibly important to God. He wants us to freely, to have the ability to freely choose whether we will accept him and keep his commandments or reject him uh, from our lives and refuse to follow him. And so I will take away their free agency. I will force all mankind to be saved, that not one soul should be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. Don't give me honor, God. Give me thine honor. My plan is better than yours. God, your plan will entail many, it will entail that uh, uh, many people will be lost. Many people will not return to live with you in your presence. Therefore, your plan is, is not very good. My plan is better than yours. So therefore, get up off that throne. Let me sit on that throne. Let me become God. Give me your glory, and I will make sure that not one soul is lost. So <laughs> what? Can you imagine this happening? As we all witnessed this. We all experienced this before we came to the earth. We, we saw it as we have this temporary veil where we can't see it. And so we're reading about it. But can you imagine seeing such a thing? And, you, you know, and so then what happens next in verse two? But behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, Jesus Christ, said unto me, Father, thy will be done and the glory be thine forever. I, Jesus Christ, will fulfill your plan and the glory will be yours. I don't want your glory. I, you know, I want to give the glory to you. I will do all these things. I will suffer as the, uh, you know, I will be crucified. I will have a throne placed, a, a, throne, a, a crown of thorns placed into my head and make it bleed. I will be whipped and beaten by Roman soldiers. I will be mocked and beaten by the Jews, you know, but I want the glory to be yours, Father. He says here in verse three, wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power by the power of mine only begotten. He wanted God's power. I caused that he should be cast down in Revelation 12. And he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies to deceive in the blind man and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my Boy, so ever since then, Satan's been roaring as a lion, as Peter says, trying to deceive the nations, trying to deceive and lead as many people astray as he possibly can. Now let's look at uh, uh, verse 5. And now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which I, the Lord God, had made. And Satan put it into the heart of the serpent, for he had drawn away many after him. And he sought also to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God, wherefore he sought to destroy the world. He didn't, he didn't say that this was, he didn't know the mind of God. He didn't know that this was actually God's plan. Remember, even the, the, the uh, Prabhupada Mian taught that every planet that has a uh, Adam and Eve, you know, first man and woman. They have a savior and they have a tempter, right? Maybe not one third walk away from God and rebel in his presence on those worlds. Maybe it's one fourth, one fifth, one tenth. But, you know, it's probably a sizable number. But uh, he doesn't understand, Satan didn't understand that the whole idea here was to introduce into Adam's family uh, sin so that there would be a reason for a savior, Jesus Christ, to come forward to pay the penalty of that sin to take the wrath of God upon himself and pay the price for that sin and be able to redeem the children of Adam and Eve. Now, he didn't know that. So here he goes. He's going to tempt them 
to fall, but God's hoping that they fall so that there's a reason for there to be a Savior. If they don't fall and don't commit sin, there's no reason for a Savior to redeem, you know, a mankind from that sin. So he doesn't know the mind of God. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree of the uh, of every tree? Did God really say you shouldn't eat of the of every tree in the garden? And he spake by the mouth of the serpent. So that's very interesting too, right? Because you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, don't know that was there really a talking snake? You know, was there really a, 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 a was there a snake that really talked to uh uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis. Well, we know it's not really a snake, but it was Satan behind the snake. But then again, we don't really know, you know, was uh, what did Satan appear as a spiritual being uh, to Adam and Eve? Did he possess the body of a serpent, of, of, a, of a snake and, and talk? Uh, well, it sounds ridiculous to, to, to our uh, modern day uh, uh, minds. We do see a similar event in the days of the Savior in the New Testament, where the evil spirits wanted to be cast out and cast into the swine and to the pigs. And then they possessed the bodies of the pig and ran down and drowned themselves, you know, in the sea. So it's possible, right? It would be possible if, if the say, if the uh, uh, satanic spirits in the days of Jesus could possess bodies of pigs, you know, certainly Satan could have possessed the body of a, a snake here. Moses seems to be saying that here, right? In verse six for, you know, it put it into the heart of the serpent in verse uh, uh, seven here, but he spake by the mouth of the serpent. So who knows, right? And we'd be speculating here, but it seems to be at least Moses is adding more, a greater possibility of such a uh, thing occurring, even though it sounds kind of silly and ridiculous. It may, may have been that way. It may have been that Satan really did possess the body of a serpent and spoke through the serpent. But at any rate, it's not important. And a lot of these things, sometimes when you come across this kind of stuff, you know, let's don't worry about that. The whole focus is what do we learn about God? What do we learn about Jesus Christ? How can we uh, in, improve our uh, lives and come closer into Jesus Christ? So here's Satan coming in whatever form he is, spiritual being, as a spirit, uh, as a snake, or whatever it is. He comes along, you know, has God really said you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden first mistake. What did she do? She entertained sin. She entertained Satan. When temptations come into your life, you don't ponder them and think, well, let's talk of and entertain this idea of this temptation that's coming into my mind and my heart from the adversary, from Satan. No, you reject such thoughts immediately. She makes her first mistake right there. She should get away from Satan as fast as she possibly can. She should re reject him. She should as Moses, you know, Moses did the part hence Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. Instead, she starts to to uh, welcome sin, to uh, converse uh, with it here. Uh, so that's the very first mistake she makes, which is going to lead on to the greater sins here. But he says, uh, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which thou beholdest in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So. He hasn't said whether they're going to live or die, uh, you know. But he says here, if you touch it or eat from it, then you will die. Let's don't always build extra stuff into our minds and our heads that doesn't exist in the scriptures. That's all God's saying. If you eat or if you touch it, you're going to die. It doesn't say that you're not going to die unless you uh, partake of this. Uh, you know, it doesn't say that, right? So you always have to look, what does the scripture say? And don't build stuff in your minds uh, beyond miss the mark, right? That's what sin really means anyways, to miss the mark. You know, you don't want to miss the mark of what the scripture is saying there. So that's all we know at this stage is that uh, that you shall surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, you, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he says that, you you know, you're going to know good and evil. You're not going to stay in the same innocent state that you're in where you only know uh, good. And he says here in 12, and when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, second mistake. So first mistake, she's entertaining sin. She's conversing with it. She's, you know, instead of departing and getting away from sin, getting away from that nightclub, getting away from 
that uh, the, the party where they have evil influences there and, and all these things. She's staying at the party and, and she's entertaining, you know, in all of Satan here, but she should have rejected it. So now her eyes, her the lust of her eyes now uh, is now the uh, sin here, right? And um, so she's got this lust in the eyes that uh, that it looks like it's good, you know, taste, right? The word of wisdom, right? She's going to break the word of wisdom here. That is going to taste good, right? She's going to partake of this aquaholic beverage. And that it became pleasant to the eyes and a treat to be desired to make her wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And also gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. Satan knows one of his most powerful tactics is to come and tempt you through your loved ones, through those that are most in, in influential in your lives. If he can get them to introduce you to sin, them to tempt you, he's won the battle, right? He's at least on a temporary stage. Uh, he's won the battle. That's how he works here. Get those close to you to tempt you to sin. He says, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they had been naked. They realized their sin. They had sinned. They're now naked before God. They're ashamed before God. They've committed sin. They don't feel worthy to be in his presence. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife went to hide themselves from the presence of the God, uh, the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And what an unfortunate thing we see that in the world today when oftentimes when people sin. What you should do when you sin, obviously, is go immediately kneel down in prayer before the throne of God and add, plead for his mercy, right? But a lot of people, they sin. They feel unworthy now. They run away from God. They try to sell themselves uh, fig, fig aprons, and they try to hide among the trees uh, from God. They fall into inactivity from the church. They stop going to church. They stop reading the scriptures. They stop praying to God, all the uh, complete the complete opposite of what they should be doing. They should be praying, reading the scriptures, going to church at that stage. But they do the opposite. So they run from God. And God has to go around as the great shepherd and to look for them. So what happens now? God comes out, right? Adam, Adam, where aren't you? Where are you? And that's what he does today. Joseph, Joseph, where are you? Mary, Mary, where are you? He's coming out. He's looking for you, trying to bring you into uh, uh, back unto him, you know. And so get out from under that bush. And present yourselves and plead at the throne of mercy for forgiveness, for the joy and peace that God has promised to you to forgive you and to grant you that peace and joy. Okay, so now he goes on here and um, and he, so he has this conversation here about, uh, you know, who told you that you were naked and, you know, have you eaten that tree? And now watch this. It says in 18, and the man and Adam here said, the woman thou gavest me and commanded that she should remain with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I did eat. What happens with sin, with unrepentant sin? You commit a sin, you, uh, you don't repent of your sins. That then leads to what? More sin and more sin and other sins and other sins. And that's what's happening here, right? So first, it's a disobedience and eating of the of the tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what is he doing? Well, now he's committing blasphemy against God. He's blaming God for his disobedience. You, God, is your fault. You gave me that woman, and because of you, that's why I sinned. So now he's got the sin. You know, he had sin of disobedience. Now he's got the sin of blasphemy. And what is he saying about his wife? Unkind words, right? Unkind things about his wife. Now it's three sins now, right? So it just continues to lead because he hasn't repented yet from the first sin. So now it's easy to continue to fall and to, to commit further sin and further sin. And, and uh, verse 19, And I, the Lord God, said unto the woman, What is this thing which thou hast done? And she also doesn't repent here, right? The serpent beguiled me. It's the serpent's fault. It's not my fault, right? That's not repentance. That's not taking responsibility for your own actions. God cannot forgive you in, in those circumstances. We don't know if he would have let him stay in the garden or not. But by, by doing so here, not repenting of their sins, now they're under the condemnation of God. 
If they'd repented of God, they would have been forgiven of their sins. Who knows whether it's going to stay in the garden or not, but they would have been, you know, received forgiveness of their sins. But they're not repenting, so now they're under the condemnation of God. Now God has no choice but to curse them. That's the whole theme of the uh, Old Testament. Choose you this day, blessing or cursing, life or death. So here they're choosing cursing through their disobedience and their failure to repent of their sins. Okay, and so then he says, now he goes after the serpent here, right? Cursing now. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done uh, this, thou shalt be cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall crush or, or bruise your head. He is going to be more powerful through her through the seed of the woman, the Savior, Jesus Christ, will come forth in the own due time of the Lord and will conquer your kingdom, will destroy you, Satan. He will establish a new kingdom, a kingdom of God, and he will crush your head. Unto the woman, in verse 22, I, the Lord God, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy, shalt, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Sorrow, right? Sorrow. Who's the, considered and called by Isaiah in the Old Testament? The man of sorrow, Jesus Christ. Again, as a, uh, as a prophecy of Jesus Christ that he would take upon himself our sorrows, so that he would be the man of sorrows, helping to relieve us from the sorrows in our own lives. 23, and unto Adam, I, the Lord God, said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of life. Cursed shall be the ground. Who was the one that was, that was cursed, right? Jesus Christ, right? It says in Deuteronomy that cursed is the man that is hung on a tree. Jesus Christ gets crucified, hung on a tree, being cursed by God, according to uh, the Old Testament law, to become the curse of God's, uh, you know, the punishment of God, taking upon himself the sins of the world, right? He says here, 24, thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Thorns also. Jesus Christ was crowned with, with that crown of thorns that the Roman soldiers put upon his head. He took upon himself our thorns of life. 25. By the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread until thou shalt return unto the ground. For thou shalt surely die. For out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou wast, and unto dust thou shalt return. The sweat of thy face. Before his crucifixion, Jesus sweat in the Garden of Eden, great drops as of blood as he began the atonement and the uh, in his suffering on behalf of the world to help us to have the atonement come about to allow us to be able to repent and receive forgiveness of our sins. 26, and Adam called his wife's name Eve, which means life, because she was the mother of all living. For thus have I, the Lord God, called the first of all women, which are many. Earlier we had in the previous weeks, Adam, in, in uh, chapter 1 of Moses, Adam, uh, you know, which is many, right? Going right back into the doctrine that all planets have an Adam, they have an Eve, and so forth. So many Eves, many Adams, right? That's what it says. There are many, right? It says here, first of all women, which are many, not just this Eve on this planet. There are others. But we're going to focus on Adam's family, Moses. Right? Unto Adam and also unto his wife did I, the Lord God, make coats of skin and clothe them. So in order to have a coat of skin, an animal had to be sacrificed to allow them to have these uh, clothes, right? These, these cloths of uh, skin here. Well, who ultimately is the Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for the world to be able to allow us to be clothed in the robes of righteousness, Jesus Christ. So all, this whole story is very uh, Christocentric, bearing witness to Jesus Christ here. And also we further see the provision of God. 
Moses, uh, Adam and Eve are creating uh, fig leaves, uh, aprons out of fig leaves for themselves, right? That's the best that they at that time that mankind could do would be to build themselves, make themselves an apron of figs. So God always does greater and more exceedingly abundantly of what we're able to do for ourselves. So he gives them a much more comfortable uh, type of clothing here than the uh, aprons of, of uh, you know, the fig trees. And so we that's, again, why we need to stay devoted to God in our lives, continue to merit his blessings upon us so that he can clothe us in the robes of righteousness. He can clothe us in greater things. 28, and I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life, and he to live forever. Therefore I, the Lord God, will send him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. For as I, the Lord God, liveth even, so my words cannot return void. For as they go forth out of my mouth, they must be fulfilled. So I drove out the man, and I placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And these are the words which I spake unto my servant Moses, and they are true, even as I will. God, again, declaring his witness, his testimony, that these things are true. We saw that all last year in the Doctrine of Covenants, how God loves to bear his own testimony concerning the truthfulness of the principles of the gospel, concerning his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, concerning the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Bible. He declares that bears his testimony of all these uh, truths as well. Show them the, to uh, no man until I command you, except to them that believe. Amen. So what a great uh, chapter. Uh, let's look now at five, and we're going to get some more great things here. So Moses chapter five, verse one. And it came to pass that after I, the Lord God, I, Yahweh of the Elohim, Yahweh of the gods, had driven them out, that Adam began to till the earth and to have dominion over all the beasts of the field and to eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. And I, Yahweh, had commanded him, and Eve also his wife did labor with him. Let's look at uh, four through, uh, see, and look at that. And Eve also, his wife, did labor with him. It's a partnership in marriage. Husband and wife working together for the providing of their children, for the upbringing of their children unto the Lord. For all these things, it's a partnership. Eve working along with Adam. Uh, you know, and today, man and woman, uh, husband and wife working together in, in these things. Let's look at verse four, uh, 4. And Adam and Eve, his wife, called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of Yahweh. And they heard the voice of Yahweh from the way toward the Garden of Eden, speaking unto them. And they saw him not, for they were shut out from his presence. So it is with most of us today. You know, we don't see God every day in our lives, right? But the blessing and the promise is, as we keep ourselves uh, you know, righteous and and holy, and we continue in a state of repenting of our sins, we can hear the voice of God as we call upon him in prayer. We can learn to hear the word of God, uh, God speaking to us every time we pray. You know, that's a promise. We can learn to have communication with God through prayer. We don't have to see him every day. He can be in the, you know, in the Garden of Eden, and we can be outside the Garden of Eden and still hear his voice. So that's the, the lesson here, right, is that they can still hear uh, God all the way toward the Garden of Eden speaking unto them, even though they had been shut out from his presence. And he gave unto them commandments that they should worship the Lord their God and should offer the firstlings of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. He doesn't know why yet. He doesn't know why. He just knows that God commanded him to sacrifice the firstlings of his flocks, and therefore he goes forward, and he does it. And he continues to do it for many days, as it next says here. And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, and he said, Why are you offering sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said, I don't know. Save the Lord commanded me. And that's all we need to know in our lives. And sometimes a lot of people like to uh, ponder and philosophize and wonder why did God, God give a commandment against doing this or doing that? Or why did he tell us to do this or do that? And they try to rationalize and they try to think through why did God give the different commandments and so forth? We don't need to know the reason why. 
Adam didn't need to. He's our first father. He's one of the examples as one of our fathers as to what we should look up to. He doesn't know and he doesn't care. He just knows that God commanded him. And so he's going to obey the word of the Lord. And that's how we should be in our lives. We don't need to know the reason for all the commandments that God has given. We just know. We just need to know what the commandments are and go forward and, and, and do them to the best of our ability. Then at some point in time that the knowledge comes after the trial of your faith, the blessing comes after the knowledge of your faith. Now he's going to be told the reason why he'd been commanded to do this commandment. And, uh, and Adam said, I don't know, save the Lord commanded me. And the angel spake, saying, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. So as you're sacrificing these animals, this is in similitude that at some point in time, Jesus Christ is going to come forward on this earth. He is going to be the Lamb of God. He's going to be slaughtered. He's going to be crucified for the sins of the world. That is why you've been commanded to do this. That is why you're doing this. That's why I'm going to continue to tell all the Old Testament saints to make these animal sacrifices in similitude to teach them of the great coming, the great coming forth of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And then he says here in verse 8, Wherefore thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon the name of the Son forevermore. And in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father and the Son. What's the main role and main um, duty of the Holy Ghost? It's to bear testimony of the Father and the Son. That's what the Holy Ghost does. He bears witness of the Father and the Son that they live, that they live today, uh, that the Heavenly Father is your Heavenly Father, that you're his spiritual uh, child, uh, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he's the Son of God. That's what the Holy Ghost does. The Holy Ghost bears witness to the truth of the things of God. He says, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed. So don't worry if you make a mistake and sin. Just because you sin doesn't mean you go run away and hide in the bushes away from God. You fall on your face before the throne of grace and you repent of your sins, you ask for God's mercy, and he will redeem you. That is his promise. That's the promise he gave to Adam, our first father. That's the promise he's given to all the prophets ever since. That's the promise he gives to you today. Redeemed. And all mankind, even as many will. Once again, right back to the free agency and the free will. It's your choice. Choose you, life or death blessing or cursing. It's up to you to choose it. You have to desire to want it. You have to desire to want to obey God, to want to honor God, to want to receive his blessings. If you don't want to receive his blessings, then you will not. You know, it's all based on your desire, on your will to honor God to with the way that you live your life, to receive those blessings, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in that day, Adam blessed God and was filled. He blessed God, right? He sang spiritual hymns praising God, right? He blessed God. And when he does that, what happens? He, be, he gets full with the Spirit, so he's able to prophesy. And he prophesies of all the things that would happen to the families of the earth, right? Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression, my eyes are opened. And in this life, I shall have joy. After repentance, I can have joy again. And then again in the flesh, I shall see God. They're temporarily cast out until from the presence of God until they repent of their sins. Then even in the flesh, on the earth, they can see God once again. That's the promise we looked at last year in Doctrine and Covenants 93.1. That whoever forsaketh their sins and calleth upon God and obeyeth his commandments, that they shall see his face and know that he is. That is a promise given to everyone that uh, does their best to for, forsake their sins and call upon him, shall see his, his face in the flesh and know that he lives. So that's what, again, right back into this doctrine right here. And he says here, And Eva's wife heard all these things and was glad, saying, Were it not for our transgressions, we... Adam and Eve never should have had 
seed. She's not mentioning the people outside of the Garden of Eden. Well, you know, whether they can have seed or not. Sometimes people think that that the, there was no childbirth until Adam and Eve fell. No, right here, sorry about it. You're, you're incorrect. That's what the scripture teaches here, that Eve here is talking about Adam and Eve. Were it not for our transgression, we, Adam and Eve, should never have had seed. They were in this Garden of Eden, which was separate from the earth. They were in this, some sort of state of innocence, which, again, was a different kind of state. In that state, in the Garden of Eden, in the state of innocence, they could not have children until they partook of this fruit and fell. So now they can have seed, Adam and Eve, and never should have known good and evil, and the joy of our redemption, and the eternal life, which God giveth unto all the obedient. If they were living in perfect, uh, keeping the commandments of God, uh, perfect righteousness, and had not uh, fallen uh, short, and uh, they would not have known the need of a redeemer. They would have not known this uh, about the eternal life and the joy of that they can be redeemed from their sins. They wouldn't have known that if they didn't, uh, if they didn't fall. And Adam and Eve blessed again. They praised God. They sang spiritual uh, the, the hymns to God. And Adam and Eve blessed the name of God. And they made all things known unto their sons and their daughters because they got full with they got filled with the Holy Ghost as they did that, and they could prophesy of all things. And Satan came among them. Here comes Satan again. Every time after a spiritual uh, witness, after a spiritual experience, notice in the scriptures, Satan always comes along now to try to tempt them, right? says, I am also a son of God. And, uh, and he commanded them saying, believe it not. Don't believe God and don't believe in Jesus Christ. And don't believe in the church. He says the same things today, right? Don't believe in the church. Don't believe in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Don't believe that Jesus uh, lived on the earth. Don't believe that Jesus died for your sins. Don't believe that God exists. Same things. He's always been saying the same thing. He says, and but unfortunately, in this case, the children of Adam decided not to believe God, right? And they loved Satan more than God. And men began from that time forth to be carnal, sensual, and devilish. And the Lord God called upon men by the Holy Ghost everywhere and commanded them that they should repent. We've seen many scriptures the last couple of years where God speaks by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's why he's able to carry conviction to the hearts of the children of men through the power of the Holy Ghost. And he commands you through the power of the Holy Ghost to repent. And when you feel that, repent. Don't run away and hide in the bushes like Adam did. And as many as believed in the Son of God, the Jesus Christ, and repented of their sins, should be saved. Right? Again, basic requirement for to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. Right? And and, and you shall be saved. Right? And, and you now... We're not talk, talking exaltation in the celestial kingdom. We're not necessarily talking about going to ter terrestrial kingdom. We've looked before that each of the three kingdoms of glory, starting with the telestial, where the murderers and the adulterers will be redeemed and live there, and the terrestrial and the celestial, are all levels of salvation. So it's true. You can believe in Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. That's true. But we're talking starting at the lowest level and not the highest level of exaltation. For exaltation is different than salvation. Exaltation requires different things than salvation requires. So as many as believed in the Son of Repentance shall be saved. That is true, but not in the celestial kingdom. And as many as believed not and repented not should be damned. And the words went forth out of the mouth of God in a firm decree, wherefore they must be fulfilled. Every word that God speaks will be fulfilled. In fact, every word that his servants speak in his name will be fulfilled, whether by his voice or by the voice of his servants, it is the same. And Adam and Eve, his wife, cease not to call upon God. And that's what we should do. Never cease to call upon God. Pray always is what the scriptures teach. And Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain, meaning possession, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I've gotten a possession. I've gotten a priceless possession from the Lord. I've gotten a son. I've gotten a child from God. I've gotten a possession. He said, wherefore he may, uh, I've gotten a man from the Lord, wherefore he may not reject his word. So she had hope, right? She had hope that her child would keep the commandments of God and not depart from him. He says, but behold, Cain hearkened not, saying, who is Yahweh? 
that I should know him. You know, and unfortunately that happens to some righteous people who have children and sometimes their children just refuse to obey and refuse to follow God. And that's what happens here. She had so much hope. This was a possession. This was Cain. This was a possession from the Lord, right? But it turned bad, right? It uh, rejected God. And, and so she conceives and bears again. His brother, Abel, vanity. I have a possession from the Lord with Cain. And now I have vanity. It's even more than a possession. I have vanity now. I got two children. That's how much God has blessed me. I have two children, right? I have vanity. And vanity hearkened unto the voice of the Lord. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And Cain, Cain loved Satan more than God. And Satan commanded him, saying, make an offering unto the Lord. So Satan comes along, tells him to make an offering to the Lord. That's what Satan does today, right? Start this other church. Start this uh, um, uh, Chris, even Christian. That's good, right? You, you know, you can claim that you believe in Christ, right? Start this Christian sect. Start this Christian, uh, so-called Christian church. He does the same thing uh, today. It's, but we're going to learn it's false worship. It's not the correct worship, right? So make an offering unto the Lord. That's Satan telling him to do so. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Uh-oh. We saw before the commandment was the firstlings of the flocks, not uh, the, the fruit of the ground, right? God has commanded people to worship him. We know through revelation, we know through the Bible, that men are created in God's image, in his Salem, in his hard, physical, material substance. He has a body of flesh and bones. We're told throughout the Bible and the scriptures that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He said, handle me and see, for his spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see that I have. We are commanded to worship Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. But what happens? Satan comes along. He tells these other, many other thousands, hundreds, thousands of the Christian denominations, Worship this, you know, you can claim you worship Jesus Christ. Start this church. Believe he's this spirit that uh, is floating throughout the essence of space and at the same time nowhere presence. That it has no body parts or passions. All the things that's totally contrary to the biblical God, to the biblical Jesus, to what the Bible says about God and Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so wrong to be a member of those kinds of false uh, so-called uh, Christian religions. It's not Christianity. It, it, it's a form of atheism. You know, you don't worship Jesus Christ. You don't worship the God of the Bible. And of that, you need to repent and come unto God. Jesus Christ said to Joseph Smith in the first vision that their creeds are an abomination in my eyes. That's what Jesus Christ said, that their professors and their uh, scholars and their priests and their teachers and their pastors that they serve that they with their lips they say Jesus Jesus but their hearts are far from him that's what Jesus Christ said in the first vision to the prophet Joseph Smith you know and so it, we need to have true worship and we need to worship the true god of the bible we need to worship the way that god has commanded us to worship him otherwise he rejects our sacrifice he rejects our religious devotion if it's not correct, if it's not the correct devotion in the right way, he rejects it just as he's going to reject Cain's uh, uh, offering here and accept Abel's offering because he's offering the firstlings of the flock. He's worshiping the true God of the Bible, the true Jesus of the Bible, as, as they teach about him. And so Cain gets uh, uh, angry here. So here's his uh, next mistake, right? So he, again, he's doing the same thing as Eve, right? He's entertaining Satan. He should have in the name of Jesus Christ, the part of Satan, but he failed to do that. So he entertained Satan. He started to follow Satan. Now he gets angry, another sin again, because he's having this unrepentance. He's not repenting. And so he sins and he sins and he sins, right? So now he's angry, right? Which is a sin, right? Uh, Jesus Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, not to get angry with your uh, brother, right? And as a result, his countenance fell. People can see that. Oftentimes, people, when they sin, you can see that they have a fallen countenance. Many of you have witnessed that with people that you know, where they, before they were full of light and knowledge and truth. You can see it in their physical body, radiating that love of God, that spirit of God. 
And when they sin, the Holy Ghost leaves them and their countenance is fallen. And that's what they see here. They actually can see that the king's the countenance has indeed fallen. And the Lord speaks to him. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? There's no reason to be angry. You can repent of your sins. You can worship me in, in spirit and truth. You can worship me according to the correct manner of worship. I will forgive you and you can be joyful and happy. And, you know, and that's what they need to do. Those of you who are worshiping in false uh, religions and false Christian denominations that are not according to the word and will of God, that are not worshiping according to the true form of uh, spiritual worship, you can repent. You can ex escape from that. And you can come unto God, repent of your sins, and worship in the true uh, manner, and God will bless you. But why, why are you angry about it? If you do well, you shall be accepted. I will accept you if you worship me the correct way. And if you do not well, sin lieth at the door, waiting. You know, the, the, the reverse here. In Revelation, we have Jesus Christ knocking at the door. You know, if, if you open up, you know, he'll come in and eat dinner with you. He'll sup with you, right? Well, here you have sin lying at the door knocking, right? And you, know, you can open it and, and receive sin into your life as well. And Satan, instead of the Lord, Satan desires to have you. And except thou shalt hearken unto my commandments, I will deliver thee up, and it shall be unto thee according to his desire. Satan can do anything he wants with you at that point, once I've delivered you up because you failed to repent of your sins. And thou shalt rule over him. For from this time forth thou shalt be a father of his lies, thou shalt be called perdition. For thou wast also before the world. So here comes the doctrine about Cain, that Cain was always a, a, a son of perdition from the beginning. He never planned to follow the father, that, but he was smarter than Satan. He knew that if he could just come to the earth, if he could just pretend to come on, to follow along to enough that he could come to the earth, gain his body, that then having a resurrected body, um, due to the uh, mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, that he would end up ruling over Satan. And so that's what he's saying. And thou shalt rule over him. Cain will rule over Satan and the world to come because Satan has been, uh, uh, God has rejected, uh, you know, giving uh, Satan a body. He will never have a body. Cain has a body. He will resurrect with that body. Therefore, Cain will rule over Satan. He says uh, uh, that was from also before the world, his son of perdition. And it shall be said in time to come that these abominations were had from Cain, for rejected the greater counsel which was had from God. And this is a cursing which I will put upon thee, except thou repent. You still have a chance, though, Cain. I have not written you off. I will never write off any of my children. They all have the chance, no matter how wicked they are, they all have a chance to still repent and receive a level of salvation, a degree of glory of salvation from the telestial on up, if they would just simply repent. And Cain was angry and listened not anymore to the voice of the Lord, neither to Abel his brother who walked in holiness before the Lord. And that's the path of the right, of the, of the wicked. They start to reject God from their lives, therefore they also reject who? God's prophets, God's apostles, God's messengers, God's missionaries, uh, any leaders in the church, they reject them as well. And Abel's brother walked in holiness before the Lord. And Adam and his wife mourned because of, before the Lord because of Cain and his brother. And it's a sad thing but those who are righteous parents sometimes who have a fallen kid who refuses to obey and refuses to honor God in their lives, yeah, it will bring you pain and suffering, you know. And, and that's what's happening for Adam and, and, and Eve here. They're mourning because of Cain and his brother. And it came to pass that Cain took one of his brother's daughters to wife, and they loved Satan more than God. And Satan said unto Cain, and, and so now we get these secret combinations. And, uh, and uh, he says, and Satan said unto Cain, Swear unto me by thy throat, and if thou tell it, thou shalt die. Penalty of telling the secret. I'm going to give you a secret how to kill and get gain. You know, but you have a penalty here. If you reveal the secret to anybody, you're promising that by your throat that you'll die, right? And swear thy brethren by their heads and by the living God that they tell it not. For if they tell it, they shall surely die. These penalties to this covenant with Satan. And this that thy father may not know it. So 
So we don't want to, which is interesting, right? Satan is often scared of the prophets. He know they know that he knows that they have power to uh, command him to command him to depart from them, and he's worried about what they can do, what the righteous uh, prophets can do to him. So he's scared of it, right? He doesn't want Adam to know about this uh, covenant he's making with his son here. And this day I will deliver thy brother Abel into thine hand. And Satan swore unto Cain that he would do according to his commands. And it makes a covenant that he'll follow and keep Satan's commandments rather than the Lord. And Cain said, truly I am. Uh, a lot of people probably say Mahan, but it's probably uh, Mahan. I am Mahan, the master of this great secret, that I may murder and get gain. So he gets a new name as part of this covenant. We're going to see this all throughout the Old Testament as God makes covenants with his prophets. What does he do? He always changes their names. He gives them a new name as part of the covenant. So as part of making covenants with God, you receive a new name. Wherefore, Cain was called Master Mahan, and he gloried in his wickedness. He wasn't just wicked. He gloried. He, it gave him great joy to glory in his wickedness. That is fallen nature. That is the depravity of the wicked, that you can get so wicked Right, that you can actually glorify and glory in your wickedness. And Cain went into the field, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass that while they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And Cain gloried. He gloried in that which he had done. This is complete opposite of repentance. He was not repenting here, right? He was not feeling remorse for what he had done, right? He was glorying in that. Saying, I am free. Surely the flocks of my brother falls into my hands. Second, that's another uh, thing. So, so he first started to follow Satan. He made covenants with Satan. He got angry. That further drove the spirit of the Lord from his life. Then he coveted, he coveted right? That's so now a new sin, right? He's coveting his brother's flocks. He now wants those flocks. So he says uh, uh, here and... Uh, I am free, sure, the flocks of my brother fall into my hands. And the Lord God uh, said unto Cain, uh, where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now he's uh, adding a new sin again because he's unrepentant, right? Now he's adding the sin of lying to God, right? Well, to the liar, he, he should be thrust to hell. He's just further damning himself, removing God permanently and the spirit of God from his life. And the Lord said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Remember in the book of Revelation, they have under the, when John sees the altar in the heavenly temple and the blood of the you know the the voice of the the martyrs crying out for vengeance on their blood. God, when are you going to take vengeance and revenge on those who would kill the you know the martyrs? He says here in thirty-seven, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond, thou shalt be in the earth. If you're no longer part of God's family, no longer on that path that leads to his presence, it's as though you're a vagabond on the earth just, you know, roaming from place to place no, no, with no place to go, no goals in life, uh, no uh, uh, eternal destiny. And Cain said unto the Lord, Satan tempted me because of my brother's flock, and I was wroth also. I was also angry. And I was, and I coveted for his offering. Thou didst accept, and not my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the Lord, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it should come to pass that he that findeth me will slay me because of mine iniquities, for these things are not hid from the Lord. And uh, and I, the Lord, said unto him, Whosoever slayeth thee, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And I, the Lord, set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain was shut out from the presence of the Lord. What a horrible consequence of sin, right? And with his wife and many of his brethren dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Okay, now let's look at 55 through 59. It says here, And thus the works of darkness began to prevail among all the sons of man. Because of that, God gets angry and he curses the earth with a sore curse and was angry with the wicked and with all the sons of man whom he had made. God hates wickedness. He loves righteousness. For they would not hearken unto his voice 
nor believe on his only begotten son. That's like the most worst sin that you can commit is to refuse to believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even him who he declared should come in the meridian of time, who was prepared from before the foundation of the world. And thus the gospel, meaning good news, the good news began to be preached from the beginning, being declared by holy angels, sent forth from the presence of God, and also by his own voice. He himself also wants to declare the truth and declare his gospel plan. And by the gift of the Holy Ghost, and thus all things were confirmed unto Adam by a holy ordinance. They, he got baptized. He received washings and anointing. He received the ordinances of the temple. And the gospel preached and the decree sent forth that it should be in the world until the end thereof. That the gospel should always be in the world, beginning with Adam all the way to the end of the world. Now, not consistently. It doesn't say that it's going to always remain without a period of time in which God had to remove it at different parts of time throughout the earth's history when people were wicked on the earth rejected the gospel he had to take the gospel from time to time but he's continued to restore it and restore it and now he's restored it once again in these uh, latter days until the end thereof and we now know that and we talked about this all last year in the come follow me doctrine covenants how god has restored his gospel the good news once and for all for the final time prior to the coming forth of jesus christ Jesus Christ will shortly come to the earth, will reign with us for over 1,000 years as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And what a glorious day that will be. What a great lesson we've had again today to see all these plain and precious, beautiful truths of God. These are the things that, that lifts your heart, lifts your soul. That gives you, that helps you see the glory of God. See what kind of God that we have to worship. And to see all his many wonderful blessings he has in store for us. And how he always wanted to bless us with the knowledge of his son Jesus Christ. To know that we can be redeemed from sin in our lives. We can receive joy. We can receive happiness and peace. It's up to you, as he said in our, in our lesson in that verse of scripture. It's up to your will. With whether you want it or not, for those of you who are not yet members of the church, and I know a lot of you are not, we invite you by the power of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ. We invite you, I invite you as a servant of God to come forward, to uh, reach out to the missionaries. I will leave in the description of, the, the, of this video a link to click on to reach out to the missionaries. Let them know that you love Jesus, that you're ready to take upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ, that you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior and God, that you're ready to become a baptized member of his church, being baptized in symbolic representation of his death, burial, and resurrection by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. As Jesus Christ declared all last year, over 160 times in the Doctrine and Covenants, that priesthood and authority of God is found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and is not found in any other church or organization upon the earth. That's why it's important that we reach out to the world to invite them, to teach them of these things, and invite them to embrace the truth of God. That's why the church spends millions upon millions of dollars sending forward missionaries throughout the earth to bring this good news, this gospel, to the people, to let them know God has restored his kingdom upon the earth, and you are invited. You're invited to Jesus Christ's great supper, to the supper of the great king of the heaven and earth. Just come forward. You know, make that commitment in, in your in your in, in your lives to come unto Jesus Christ. You know, you know, you should not be ashamed of him. He says that that those who are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of them before his father in heaven. But those who are not ashamed of him, those who testify of Jesus Christ and share his great love with one another, that he will honor them and he will testify of to, of them to his heavenly father. He will say, I know this one father, let him into the kingdom, let her into the kingdom and God will honor his son. He always has, he does now and always will. We invite you to come unto him. Those of you who fall into inactivity in the church, don't be Adam. Don't be like Adam. Don't hide in the bush, hiding from God. 
You know, we just seen before, if you don't repent of those sins, it's going to lead to further sins of other classes of sins. It's going to further remove you further and further from the grace and, and, and love of, and the mercy of Jesus Christ and his uh, redemption and his uh, repent and his, uh, you know, redeeming love. So we invite you right away, fall upon your face before the throne of God, before the throne of grace. Repent. Come unto him. He has promised that if you do so, he will forgive you. He will redeem you from those sins. He will welcome you back into his arms of mercy, welcome you as one of his children once again, as the, the father of the prodigal son did. He will run out. He'll give his robe of righteousness upon you. He will give you a golden ring upon your finger. He will give you to eat from the tree of life. He will give you the white stone. He will give you all these glorious promises to eat of the manna from heaven. All these great things the book of Revelation declares. All those promises can indeed be yours. And it would be a shame if you reject them from your life. We love you. We pray for you every day. We ask God to bless you at this time in your life with safe shelter overhead, with food to eat, with uh, uh, you know, to, that he, he will meet your basic needs and that he'll show forth his power in your lives, that you will see his mighty power and his redeeming grace more fully in your lives as you continue to seek him, to study about him, to study the gospel, to study his scriptures. As a witness of Jesus Christ, I declare that he lives. He is our Lord. He is our God, our Savior, our King. Of him let the angels shout for hallelujah in the heavens. He is our Lord supreme. We testify of the love of our Heavenly Father for you. You are a literal son and daughter of God, and he desires to bless you. Make that decision to let him bless you, because that's what he wants to do. I testify the restoration of the gospel. God indeed has restored his church upon the earth. He has called prophets and apostles in this our own day. Administrators today. There are administrators upon the earth who are administrators of God who hold the priesthood in the keys of the kingdom of God upon the earth. What glorious knowledge it is to, to know that. And we leave these things and leave this witness with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.